We began to look uh, a couple of weeks ago um, at uh, an example that Paul gives us in Colossians of how we're to pray for the church. And um, last week, um, I, I loved Daniel's report when, uh, for his Honduras trip and then the uh, Iran, I can't ever pronounce his name right, so I'm not even going to try, that's with Capital Commission. I hope you all really enjoyed that. And, the, and uh, so this, think of them as well as your elders and teaching pastors of the church and for each other as we look at this. And if you remember the context of of Colossians chapter 1 here of um, Epaphras had gone to Paul. Uh, Paul's in prison. Epaphras traveled uh, to Rome to meet with him because there was some strange things going on in the church at Colossae. So this is what Paul wrote back to them. And he's kind of getting to the point now to where he wants to teach uh, Epaphras um, how he's been praying for the church and how he and the uh, other saints, as Paul called them in the church, can pray for one another. And of course, today that would carry over for us of how we can do that. So let's look at... uh, Verse 9 to start with, you know, and in this example, Paul tells us how to pray for, for the knowledge of the, for the church to have knowledge and then for the church to be in a certain mode of conduct in verse 10 that we'll get into as well. So Colossians 1.9, he writes, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, this knowledge for which Paul was praying here was in bold contrast to the knowledge that the Gnostics, the ones that Paul is equipping Epaphras to go back and deal with, it's, it's really the knowledge, it's that word epigenosis rather than gnosis, and, and it's, it's really a technical term that for the knowledge of God in conversion, in salvation. You know, so you see the difference between the just general knowledge of the Gnostics and then for Paul praying for the church to have knowledge of God to the point of being informed enough to be uh, converted to the faith. You know, the, the again, the characteristic word for knowledge was gnosis, Hence the Gnostics, right? But Paul used the word epigenosis to refer to the full knowledge of God for the church in Colossae. And this was written to Colossians, but we'll see later when we get in chapter 4. You know, he, it's really for those three churches that were there that we talked about, you know, weeks ago of the church in Laodicea and Areopolis. They were all three in the same little region there, those two on one side of the river and the church of Colossae on the other side. So knowing that they have this personal knowledge of Christ and his will, Paul prays for this epigenosis, that that this would fill them in such a way that it would instill wisdom and understanding into their lives. And from Paul's perspective, a, a deep, growing knowledge of Christ and his will, this is really neat to me, was the greatest was of the greatest importance for these Christians. And wh- why do you think that was so important to him? You know, have you, um, for me, I, th- I think what it is is that, <clears throat> um, 
my heart aches sometimes when I see somebody that, yes, they're definitely a Christian. No questions about it. I, we don't know people's hearts. You know, they give a profession of faith in Christ. We, we, we agree with them in their confession, right? But, but we know that they're, they're not being fed, perhaps. Maybe they're not going to a, a, a strong uh, Bible teaching church. You know, that sounds weird, doesn't it, that you would have a church that doesn't teach the Bible. But guess what? You know, they're all over the place. And so um, my wife and I actually experienced this a few years ago. We were on vacation. And we went to church, and um, my heart, I, I, I kid you not, my heart ached for the saints in that church. The, their teaching from the pulpit was so weak that, you know, that they just, they, you know, they're just staying infants their whole life in Christ. And, and so, you know, there's no growth for them. I mean, you know, Matt's got a new baby at home. If you know, at some point here in the near future, that your son's gonna, you know, you're not, you're gonna start supplementing the milk, right? Makes them sleep longer for one thing, and uh, you know, but you know, and then sooner or later, you know, the baby food comes out, and sooner or later, the solid food comes into the diet. Now, yeah, we need some milk every now and then to, um, uh, you know. Maybe you get a piece of meat hung up here and you got to drink something to get it to go, right? But so I'm not saying that we don't, you get my point? I mean, that we should be praying for people we know in the faith to be filled with wisdom and understanding from God's word. And it it just saddens me that many times, um, um, you know, that's not happening, Um, so from Paul's perspective, a deep growing knowledge of Christ and his will is the greatest importance in the spiritual life of Christians. He, he knew that as well. So interestingly, the word filled means to be completely full, or we could translate it totally controlled. Think about that. Somebody that is being totally controlled by the knowledge of God. You know, don't you wish you could do that? You know, 60 seconds of every minute and 60 minutes of every hour and every hour of every 24 and every 24 of 168 in a week and that's as far as I can go with that right but totally controlled by the knowledge you have from God's word and you know we know that through scripture I'm going to read several uh, examples here you don't need to look at them but I'll give you the reference that 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 um Knowledge of God is a central, central theme in Paul's writing. 1 Corinthians 1 5, he wrote, In everything you were enriched in, excuse me, in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge. Ephesians 1 17, Paul prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give the Ephesians a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. In Philippians 1.9, he wrote, This I pray that your love may abound still more, more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. In Colossians 1.23, we, we learn of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that those are hidden in Christ. Colossians 3.10, in our new life in Christ, 
he says, is being renewed to a true knowledge. But you know what? <clears throat> In our society today, there, there appears to be, at least from my observations, a total denial of absolutes. You all agree with that? Total denial of absolutes, right? Particularly in the area of what? Morals. Isn't that true? And one of the contributing factors of that is that there's no source of authority for people today. There's no source. Uh, and, and we, though, as there's, well, I should say there's no source outside of Scripture. So without a source of authority to provide absolute standards, what happens? Anything goes, right? Anything goes. But for us... Christians, we have the Word of God that provides our absolutes for us, right? The absolutes are the basis which all truth about God and all standards of conduct in our faith are set forth. So we have a guide. We have authority in our lives, the Word of God. And since the knowledge of those absolutes is the basis for correct behavior and ultimately judgment, it's, the cru- it, it's crucial that the Christians grow in that revealed truth of the knowledge of God's will for our lives. Again, uh, the Bible warns of the dangers of lack of knowledge. Proverbs 9.2 says, quote, It is not good for a person to be without knowledge. In uh, Hosea 4.6, the prophet saying of the Lord, saying, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. 1 Corinthians 14, 20, Do not be children in your thinking. Yet in evil be babes, but in your thinking be mature. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? Ephesians 4, 13, um, Children are tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Children... You know, not informed, don't have knowledge. Verse, and it's not talking about kids, it's talking about babies in Christ, right? Verse 18, Ephesians 4, 18, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. So we should be asking how in the world, if this is true, if this is where we get our absolute standard, how in the world can we as a church, believers in Christ, brothers and sisters together, how can we obtain knowledge, right? What is my, uh, my obligation to obtain knowledge? You know, the, we probably all at some point in our lives, particularly as young Christians, were really excited about our uh, relationship with Christ and we wanted everybody in the world to know it, right? And that's a good thing. We need some of that zeal in our lives the longer we're Christians. But... Do you, for me anyway, I can only speak from my experience, I guess, but when I, I came from a non-church background, so I had no Bible knowledge, none. I didn't know Genesis was the first book and Revelation was the last. I did, I'd never had a Bible. I, well, I think one time uh, when we were in the Army, somebody came door to door, you know, and I don't remember what they were selling, but if you let them come in, you got a big old Bible, you know, a coffee table Bible thing, but I never looked at it. So so it was all new to me. With a, I remember the first time I realized what this, this little uh, center column was that had all this, that little tiny print in it, the cross-references. 
And, and I mean, I was on, I had nine fingers in the Bible, flipping the cross references over here and over there and over there. I mean, that, I was gaining and growing in knowledge because I was in a Bible-believing church that, that, that preached the Word of God. That was, I was so hungry for it, it was my food. And so that's where, where it all comes from first is that, is that we have a desire to have God's knowledge. So we need to keep that in mind when we're counseling people, when we're discipling people. If there's no desire there, what's that an indicator of? Unbelief, yeah. I mean, have you ever been talking with somebody, you know, squirrel hunting? And man, they're all over it. They're listening to you tell the stories. And I've never talked to anyone like that. You haven't? <laughs> all right, well, yeah. We'll use medicine for you, right? You talk to, well, bike riding. Yeah, that's one of uh, Tim's hobby. He rides uh, uh, street bikes, not a motorcycle, but uh, the kind you got to pedal, right? Um, you know, you're in deep in conversation with some somebody about something. Maybe not deep if it's squirrel hunting, but you know what I mean. And then you turn it to the scriptures. What happens? Yeah, silence, the wall goes up, they glaze, don't they? They get this weird look on their face. I mean, they are not with you. I remember when I had this inner city ministry, I had this guy, Marvell, would come and he'd drink coffee all morning with you. And oh, he was there the whole time. Remember the first time he came, my wife was with me and he said, I don't guess I can bring Amos and Andy to church with me, can I? And I said, who are they? And he pulls his shirt up, and he had a nine millimeter on each hip. And I said, no, they need to stay outside. <laughs> which one's Amos and which one's Andy, right? But one, anyway, we would just, I mean, you could fellowship forever with him. But as soon as you said, well, let's get the Bible down and start looking at something. Oh, I got to go, you know. And, and so I think that's a good indicator for us if we're discipling people of, of where they're really at with the Lord. But for us individually and what Paul was praying for this church in Colossae is, is you know, the indicator is do they desire it? And John, uh, Jesus says in John 7, if, man, if any man is willing to do his will, the Father's will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. If any man is willing, he has a desire. That thought is, is echoed also in uh, Hosea 6.3 that says, quote, Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. So we've got to have a desire. right? And secondly, we have to depend on the Holy Spirit. It, it's through him that, that we get to know the things that God has revealed to us. Turn to 1 Corinthians for a moment, chapter 2. Look at this, because I think this is important to know that um, it's through the Spirit that indwells us to know the things that God has revealed. Uh, like 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 through 12. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we receive not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, 
that we might understand the things freely given to us. So the Holy Spirit is the one that that brings that to reality in our lives. And, and finally, we got to study the scriptures, right? Why do we have to do that? Because Paul tells us in 2 Timothy that the, the scriptures are are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, right? And it makes it makes us uh, verse seventeen um, of that Second um, Timothy three seventeen, you know, tells us that it, it's adequate for equipping us for the work of God, for every good work, actually. And then probably the most graphic text uh, is Job twenty eight. Turn there for a second and, and look at. Um, Let's see, Job 28. Talking about this pursuit of divine truth. Um, Let's see. Let's just start in. Like maybe verse um, 10. He, he cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eyes see every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, It is not in me, and the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls." The topaz of Ethiopia, Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come, and where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it and knows its place, for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Isn't that good? I mean, this is only going to come from God, as we desire it, the Spirit fills us and controls us, and we have the proper fear, respect, honor, awe, adoration for God. You know, the. Um, do you ever read any old books? Anybody read old books? And, and uh, you know, the language of the old books, to me, just magnify God, magnifies God so much better than the new I mean, then English language today does, even though godly men are still writing today and they're great books. I'm not saying don't read new books, but I remember uh, reading a Puritan classic when I was uh, newly converted, a 
pastor used to say, for every three books you read, read one Puritan book. So one of four. And so I got one, and, um, and I was reading it, and it said that God is awful. Whoa. You know, it's like, what in the world? Uh, this guy's a heretic. What's he mean, God is awful? But, you know, in the, in the old language, what did that mean? Full of awe, right? And um, that, you know, as I began to unpack that and understand that, I, that that's what what we're talking about is that we can't be you know I'm, our society today has become so enamored with technology and I, I love technology it makes my life so much easier but you know um, it's it's a detriment to us to some degree because we're we're uh, we're amused by our technology right. And in the days of old, when things were in print and we had books instead of a tube to look at, we were musing. And you put an A in front of a word in the English language, what's it do to the word that precedes that? Negates it. Amused. That's what we're all about today is amusing ourselves. And we're not musing on the deep things of God. So the spirit of God's in us as believers today, just like it was the believers in Colossae, but instead of, you know, he's just there. You know, I'm not saying you're any less filled, you know, because you're not doing these things. But think how enriching our lives could be if we would go to the extents that Paul is uh, explaining to us here in Colossians. So Paul prays that the knowledge that we have would be of God's will. And, and it's interesting that God's will... It's not a secret. He's revealed it in his word. You know, I mean, how many people have you talked about, well, if I just knew God's will for my life, right? I mean, that happens a lot, doesn't it? I think that sometimes for myself. Well, one example of God's will that's in the Bible is that he desires that, that people be saved. Well, how's that going to happen? By me and you going and being those sharers of that good news. That's God's will that we do that. I, uh, the guy that I met with um, Thursday, well, it was two guys, was about an addiction program that I'm going to start here um, in our community. It'll be through our church, but open to the community. And this guy's written this wonderful material. And, and it, 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 you know why it excited me? It took me back to the first two weeks of when I was a believer. It was, it's that basic, right? Evangelism. And Discipleship 101. It's got scripture memory in it with the cards, right? Do you remember how excited you were when you were first saved? I mean, how many people just, I mean, you were just clicking off those memory verses, weren't you? How, when was the last time you dedicated? No show of hands. You don't have to speak. But right, that's convicting to me as well, you know? So I'm so excited. It's got journaling in it. When was the last time you journaled, right? You read the Bible. You wrote something down. You know, you went and showed somebody. You know, so this was, um, that's an advertisement for the group that's going to be starting. If you know anybody, there'll be more to come on that. It's going to be called Freedom That Lasts. Anyway, um, just basic level stuff, right? The Spirit's in us. God wants people saved. We're his instruments to go and proclaim that to the world and to our neighbors, right? Um, so God desires people to be saved. Ephesians 5 says, uh, verse 17, Do not be foolish, 
but understand what the will of the Lord is. He says that. Paul says that. Understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So there's one will of God. We don't get drunk. Pretty basic, right? Also, get this. Sanctification is God's will. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. It's God's will that we be sanctified. Well, what does that mean? What is sanctification? What do you think? Being transformed, sure. Day by day, right? Progressively being changed. Now, I think positionally, yes, we are sanctified at the moment of salvation. But then each day we become more and more and more like Christ. It's being transformed. It's being made holy. There's some places, depending on the translation of the Bible, and I don't know the Greek word, but in Hebrews 12, for example, New American Standard, I think, says holiness, and other, another translation says sanctification. It's, they're interchangeable, right? It means being separated from sin, and if we're being separated from something, then we're being put onto something else, which is God. Separated from sin, put onto God. It's God's will for you and I to be in that process. This one I don't particularly care for sometimes, but it's also God's will that the believer be submissive to the government. Uh, because 1 Peter 2.13 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, for such is the will of God. And here's another one that none of us particularly care for, I don't think. Suffering may also be a part of God's will for the believer. Right? 1 Peter 4.19, Let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Suffering according to the will of God. Of God. Giving thanks is part of God's will. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you. So a tremendous blessing of having the knowledge of God and of God's word is that it controls our minds, right? Which is the key to righteous living. If you can't control your mind, you're not going to live a, a righteous, holy, sanctified becoming more like Christ's life. That's not going to happen, right? What controls our thoughts will control our behavior. You know, in my addiction counseling, I'm telling you, that is the, the, the pinnacle of getting people to understand, right? Where my thoughts go, my feelings go, my actions follow. And here I go, round and round. You can see that in your own life, right? And, and it's key, you know, and, and Paul tells us that this knowledge of God's word will lead, next he says in that verse, in verse 9, to all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that's where my mind needs to be, right? Knowledge that leads to spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, the terms wisdom and understanding, you know, sometimes they're synonymous, but I think there's more to it. I think it's a little bit broader because you see Solomon write about it in, in Proverbs, right? The beginning of knowledge, right? It, or the beginning of wisdom is this is fear of the Lord. Um, it refers to the ability to collect and consciously organize principles from Scripture. That's what wisdom is. 
wisdom allows us. We're reading God's word. We're meditating on God's word. We're praying God's word. And wisdom allows us to take those thoughts and bring them into our lives to think about them. And, and then once we're consciously thinking about those, we can organize them and act on them. And that's where the, um, the understanding comes in. That's kind of using the wisdom, if you will. But both are spiritual. They both deal with the non-physical realm of our bodies. The Holy Spirit is the source of these. But, you know, you're not going to have understanding without wisdom, and having wisdom without making application through understanding is no good, right? It, it just doesn't benefit us at all. So the bottom line is that our minds need to be saturated with this kind of knowledge, and when they are, we'll be able to comprehend general principles of godly behavior. With that, wisdom will come understanding with that wisdom will come our understanding of how to apply the principles that we're learning and that's what Paul prays for this church right and you know this prayer like this has really challenged me over the last couple of weeks Um, because typically when I pray for others I typically pray for what physical health you know their well-being Maybe their relationships, their spiritual growth. But do I really pray for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding? Have you ever prayed for somebody like that? You know, that would be a great verse for us to memorize. So that when we're in our prayer time and somebody comes to our mind, the Lord, the Holy Spirit brings that to us that we could pray. I mean, I would love it if y'all would pray for me that I would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what I need more than anything. I guarantee you, your elders need that, right? Shane needs that. We all need that in our lives. Um, Paul ex- exhorts uh, us to pray for one another all the time. And in Ephesians six eighteen, he says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance perseverance and petition for all the saints praying all the time for all the saints that's ephesians six eighteen. so paul writes in first timothy 2 1 i urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men the writer of hebrews in hebrews thirteen eighteen, he writes pray for us for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. I mean, the Bible is just filled with examples of, of people praying for people, right? Um, would anybody like to share a time perhaps that you have prayed for somebody and you've seen what you may just like say, man, that was a miracle. God answered that prayer in a miraculous type of way. Has anybody ever experienced one of those? That you salvation. salvation for others. Good. That's probably the biggest prayer. Sometimes I was with an elderly man that prayed for his family members, ten of them, for probably thirty years. Wow. They all came to Christ over that period of time. Amen. That's George Mueller praying there, isn't it? 
Has anybody, y'all read jo- the uh, biography of George Mueller? They got a little small condensed it is. You ought to. That'll change your prayer life. You know, he was a guy that same th- type of thing. He had, I think, four guys that he prayed for for 50 years. And, uh, had, I mean, I hadn't prayed for, I hadn't been a Christian that long. But, I mean, right? Think of that. Any Anybody else? To, um, I was thinking of one. I think y'all were at my house and Greg was at my house when I showed that video. Um, there was a... Um, the Brooklyn Tabernacle, y'all familiar with that church in New York? And um, they have a, I can't remember if it's Wednesday night or Monday night prayer meeting where they don't have preaching or anything, they just come and pray. And there was a guy there named Calvin Hunt. And Calvin was married, uh, two kids, and um, he was a crack addict. And um, he would, you know, he'd have spurts of sobriety and, and then he would disappear for a while and that kept going on and kept going on and and uh this uh guy that's interviewing calvin you know he takes him out to the spot where it all happened and everything where he used to sleep in a doghouse so he could be the first in line and when the dealer showed up people would line up that's kind of the starting point whoever got to the doghouse first but so the interviewer said to his wife he said well what did you do and she said I fought for my husband through prayer and fasting. Whoa, you know, and then the story goes on. And uh, he was out on one of his binges, was gone for several days. And he went back home uh, knowing that they would be at church. It was, but they were at the prayer meeting that they were having. And he couldn't rest. He couldn't go to sleep. And uh, so he got cleaned up, and he went to the church, and she had requested prayer for him. And there's 2,000 people crying out his name. He walked in the back door, and he heard, God, save Calvin. Bring him to yourself, Lord. Please save him. And the video switches, you know, to the inside of the church, and people who have hands raised and crying out to God for Calvin. And the pastor looked up and he says, and there he was in the back of the church and he walked down that aisle just like a bride would walk down to meet her husband and just fell on the ground right there. And I don't know if you've ever heard the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, but they're quite amazing. And uh, the choir director is the pastor's wife and she wrote a song for him. Not only is Calvin a Christian, but the boy can sing. I mean, he can belt it out and the song's called I'm Clean. So you know, Google I'm Clean by Calvin Hunt. And boy, he talked, I mean, prayer. That's what did it. His wife fought for him through prayer and fasting. You know, what? that should ignite every one of us a story like that, to be praying for people, like Dave said, that, that we know that aren't saved. I guarantee you everybody in here has got a family member or a friend that's not saved, right? That we should be doing that, that they would be filled with the wisdom an understanding of God. I read another example this week. This one was really, really kind of neat too. I'll read it to you. About 80 years ago, a young missionary named Raymond Edmond staggered in from an Ecuadorian jungle, desperately ill. Quote, he'll be dead by morning, the doctor predicted. Edmund's wife dyed her wedding dress black so it would be ready for the funeral. In the tropics, funerals must be held immediately. 
However, thousands of miles away in Boston, Edmund's friend, Dr. Joseph Evans, interrupted a prayer meeting saying, I feel we must pray for Ray Edmund in Ecuador. The group prayed earnestly until finally Evans called out, Praise the Lord, the victory's won. The rest is oft-repeated history. Raymond Edmund recovered his wife's dress, did not. <laughs> and Dr. Edmund went on to become the president of Wheaton College and to minister for 40 years. Right? That's a beautiful story of unfor- that unforgettably affirms the power of intercessory prayer. You know, so... You know, I, I think, um, as I said, this really challenged my prayer life. You know, that what am I doing, right, uh, with all my little shopping list stuff that I come to God with? But Paul continues in verse 10. He says, we pray this, and this is just great. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit, in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So in the Hebrew vocabulary, throughout the entire Old Testament, the word walk was symbolic, symbolic for our conduct, right? That's what it's talking about here. And, and it's carried over into the New Testament, of course. So in, in Colossians alone, we see Paul use that word several times here in verse 10, that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord uh, in chapter uh, 2. Um, he says, as though, as you therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Chapter 3, verse 7, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Talking about the bad conduct there. So, in the Hebrew mind, knowledge and conduct were bound together. But in, in Gnostic culture, teaching was highly speculative and theoretical, not related to life at all. That's a real problem. You know, when when your knowledge is not related to life, right? Um, matter of fact, in in one strain of Gnosticism, um, they 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 said that uh, since the body was evil and the spirit was good, it didn't make any difference what you did in the body. So you could do anything. Well, pff, do you think that's a good excuse to sin? <laughs> you know, well, you know, I mean, after all, I can't help it, right? And that's my evil body doing that, but no, we know different, right? So the Hebrews saw an, an absolute, an absolute connection between knowledge and conduct. And from their perspective, a person did not know something unless they did it. So they based, that, I can tell that guy's got knowledge and wisdom because look what he's doing, right? They, they took the works, and we'll see that in verse 11, why we were created for that or why we were given that blessing. So I think all authentic Christianity springs from that. So true spiritual knowledge means action, doing something. You know, and there seems to be a really weird divide among some Christians today. Like I said, we don't the world has no moral absolutes. We do, we've got the Bible, but there seems to be a weird divide within Christianity when we're talking about having the wisdom and understanding and having the scriptures and 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 acting on them. And I think that divide comes in having knowledge but doing nothing and never taking any action. And some on the other side of that have a tendency to be very active, but they lack the pursuit of godly knowledge. And there's an unbalanced extreme, I think, on both sides of that. 
And a couple of examples of that would be somebody that's, you know, is a, you're saying, boy, he shares the gospel everywhere he goes. But it's, he just has a shallow rabbit track through the scriptures. Have you ever known anybody like that? You know, you think, wow, he's a great soul winner, but, you know, he doesn't really, he can't even tell you what John 3.16 says. You know, he's, uh, you got to be careful of that, right? And on the other hand, you got the contemplative scholar that knows it all and doesn't do anything, right? Neither one of those situations was ever meant to be. And Paul, I mean, of all people, Paul had a contemplative mind, didn't he? But he was an incredible man of action at the same time. Calvin, right? Was he smart? You know, really smart dude, right? He would use his intellectual prowess to write, but he would lay on his bed and dictate that. That's smart. You know, you just lay there and your thoughts flow and that's what comes out. Are you kidding me? Right? But he was also highly involved with other people's lives, as we all know. That's the kind of balance that we need. I I knew a guy years ago, he passed away a year ago, um, was a, a retired Presbyterian pastor, but he was, he was just an incredible evangelist, just an incredible evangelist. And he, I'm telling you, I have been to parts of the inner city of Atlanta with this man that would make you shudder to get out of the vehicle. Matter of fact, the first time I went with him, I didn't get out until he used a statement to really convict me. I mean, I was scared to death. And he and I and I said, well, I'll just. We were going in. Uh, this was this guy's retirement. He would go to Publix and Kroger and get bread and pies and whatnot, and go into these. I'm talking about the worst neighborhoods you could ever dream up to go into. And he would hand that stuff out and preach and just hang out with people and counsel them if they wanted it and stuff like that. So the first time I went with him. He said, all right, we're getting ready to turn. When we turn the corner, somebody's going to yell, bread man, and people are going to come out, I mean, out of the woodwork. Sure enough, we turn the corner, somebody yells, and there's 50 people surrounded this van. It was middle of the summer. I'm in the front passenger seat. This guy ended up being a friend of mine, Greg, um, six, eight, 450 pounds, do-rag on his head, no shirt, right next to the door. And Dr. Ben says, all right, get out. I said, that's all right. I'll hand the stuff out the back to you. And he looked at me and he said, what did you say? And I said, I'll just, this is my first time. I'll just wait here. And, you know, when you're done preaching, I'll open the back and we'll give the stuff out. They can go on about their way. And he looked at me and he said, are you telling me that, that you're not willing to die for Christ? You're scared? And I said, well, if you put it like that, I guess not, you know. And here's a man that had a Ph.D. in theology, and he was retired, and he's out doing ministry like that. You know, that's what I think Paul's talking about here. He was putting into action the knowledge and understanding and the wisdom that God had bestowed on him, but he had a desire to learn that, and he diligently studied the Word of God. And ironically, as time went by, we, my wife and I ended up planning a church in that neighborhood, and Greg was a friend, and he actually, you know, he didn't really come. He came to church a couple of times, but he would, if anybody harassed me on the street, he was always there to 
Johnny on the spot for me, you know. But that's what we're talking about, a guy like that, right, that, that God has blessed with the knowledge and wisdom. You know, we all have multiple copies of his word, you know, that as we read it and the spirit that's filled us informs our minds and we take that and we act upon it out in the world and it should make a difference in our lives to impact the people that we come into contact with each day, right? It should. If the action's not there, then we really need to be looking at something in our lives to figure out why it's not there. So really, I think the bottom line is you could say a profound knowledge should profoundly affect the way we walk, right? And Paul prayed that to the Colossians, that they would walk their talk, if you want to say it that way that their knowledge of Christ would grow them and in turn would produce a conduct that would be pleasing to God. That's challenging, isn't it? Does my conduct show that I have a knowledge of God? Right? I read something, somebody sent me an email, a pastor, uh, a conflict type thing, and uh, he said, I can't believe he did this because this is probably where my conduct definitely does not show that I have a knowledge of God if you put me in traffic, right? And, um, you know, do the people around me, what do they see, you know? I don't do the bad hand gesture anymore, but I might go like that, you know, or (laughs) like that, you know? So, you know, I mean, and then, you know, of course, I'm Lord, please forgive me, but does that guy know I just said, Lord, please forgive me. No. You know, so what could I do to him? You know, just not respond, right? Would be the way. And maybe if he comes up next to you, you know, you could roll down the window and say, Jesus loves you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so do I. But, um, right, so thankfully God hadn't left us to our own resources for walking this worthy life either, though, right? Um, So I guess... It's about 10 after. Well, it's only 10 after 9. We could yeah. <laughs> keep going, right? No. So we'll close with that and pick up there um, next Sunday then. All right. Thanks for your time. <laughs>